Good morning, everyone. This is Marty Duran coming to you live from I-40. Welcome to the Fourth Estate Drive Time Podcast. Thanks for coming along. It's a beautiful day headed into Nashville, Tennessee. Happy Wednesday to you. I think this is something like July the 27th. As 2016 is slowly and methodically making its way toward Election Day, wanted to take a few moments this morning to, th- to think about the future of the GOP. Uh, in short, I don't think there is one. I was thinking last night and this morning about the last several Republican candidates for president. Not qualifications, not expectations, only from a demographic standpoint. Donald Trump is 70 years old. Mitt Romney, when he ran in 2012, was 65 years old. John McCain, when he ran in 2008, was over 70 years old. Before McCain, we had George W. Bush, who, when he ran in uh, 2000, was in his mid-50s or so, maybe early 50s. Before George W. Bush, if my memory serves, it was Bob Dole and Jack Kemp who tried to unseat Clinton and Gore. And Bob Dole, uh, at that point, was about 175 years old. Before them, it was uh, George H.W. Bush and Dan Quayle trying to maintain the presidency, which they did not do. George H.W. Bush, when he ran for president, would have been over 60 years old. Ronald Reagan, when he ran for president, was, I think, 68 in his first term. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's right. So that was 1980. Before Reagan, if memory serves, uh, of course, Carter was president, and he beat Ford, who had been given the presidency after Nixon stepped down. Uh, Ford would have been in his 60s at that that time. I'm not sure how old Nixon was when he was elected. Uh, Richard Nixon always looked like he was about 70, probably even in his high school yearbook photo. Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, So let's be generous and say late 50s. Or let's be generouser and say mid 50s. Um, Do you see a trend? The GOP only seems to be able to put forward as their presidential candidate older white dudes, with the exception of Bush, of course, who probably was in his uh, early to mid-50s, and that to me uh, is definitely not old, since that's the range I'm in. But when you're looking at an 18-year-old voter or a 22-year-old voter or a 25-year-old voter, Um, Old is old, and we all know that. But exempting George Bush uh, as just a person in in the prime of his life rather than an old person, every GOP candidate for the last quarter century or longer, uh, actually 30-plus years now, has been an older white dude. Uh, The only exception on the ticket at all, really, would have been Quayle as a younger man and of course Sarah Palin 
who uh, most GOP operatives may actually wish had never been on a ticket at all and was still the mayor of Wasilla, Alaska. That being, uh, all that being said, um, the demographic of the United States is changing um, and not at a slow rate. This is not a result of illegal immigration. This is a result of uh, immigration and growing minority populations across the board. Uh, there's one dominant culture, and that's uh, Anglo or white culture, white folks. And we still make up the overwhelming majority, those of us who are white, of the population of the United States. But that is shifting, and it's shifting in the electorate. And the majority of the people who rotate out of the electorate via death every year are also white. And those who are moving into the electorate every year are uh, more and more non-white. So the GOP is faced with a crucial decision, and that is how do they get uh, minority, or at the very least, younger people at the top of their ticket. Now, I'm not saying they have to run somebody who is as young as Obama was or as young as Kennedy <coughs> was, but for crying out loud, uh, does, I mean, does everybody have to have an AARP card to qualify for the presidency, um, for the for a GOP nomination, uh, vice presidential candidates. I mean, just was Palin a female? Just a one-off. I mean, that's just the the only time in history that we're ever going to see this. George W. Bush has already said this was um, a couple of months ago. I think that he was concerned that he would be the last Republican president in history. Now, think about that for just a second. Here's a guy who is. I mean, he was a Republican governor family of, you know, the pedigreed Republicans. They're the, uh, they're the Republican Kennedys, if you will. Uh, Jeb, it doesn't look like he's ever going to get to be president, but, you know, at the family reunions, he has to sit at the end of the table. But um, other than that, I mean, they're a pedigreed, known political family in the United States. And George W. Bush, lifelong Republican, is concerned that he is going to be the last Republican president. Now, from a, um, from a standpoint of history, uh, political parties come and go. This is, I mean, this is nothing to be, in my view, to, you know, wring our hands and uh, cry and down a bottle of aspirin or uh, aspartame, either one. The, um, and it is interesting to see this come and go, but from a strategic standpoint, the, uh, the Republican Party just, to me, as one who is a strategist, does not seem to have it together at all. Let me give you one snippet that illustrates kind of what I'm talking about. I'm going to write an entire blog post using this illustration. Scott Bayo versus Elizabeth Banks. Scott Bayo was handpicked by Donald Trump to speak at the Republican National Convention. At least that's what I read, uh, that he was the choice of the nominee to speak at the Republican National Convention. Now, I don't know Scott Bayo, and he may be the most wonderful man alive. He may love his kids, love his wife, uh, give money to his church. I mean, I don't know anything about him at all. I don't even know if he's Jewish or Christian or nothing. I know zero about him other than he was a teen heartthrob back in the 70s and 80s, late 70s, early 80s. He was uh, somebody's brother or something on Happy Days, 
And then he starred in a several season television show called Joni Loves Chachi, where two of the characters from Happy Days were spun off into their own series. And if you don't know what that means, if you're young listening to this, that's something that used to happen back in the day that doesn't happen much anymore. And Elizabeth versus Elizabeth Banks, who spoke at the Democratic National Convention last night, who is a uh, very accomplished screen actress, uh, the wildly, uh, from the wildly popular Hunger Games to um, Love and Mercy, where she played uh, Beach Boy Brian Wilson's girlfriend and eventually wife, to people like us, uh, a lot of offbeat kinds of roles, but young and in touch with this generation, unfortunately, very pro-choice, very, uh, very liberal in a lot of her political leanings. But think of the contrast where your Hollywood talent for one convention is a guy who hasn't been a Hollywood talent for decades. I mean, he may be producing and directing every other show on television, but nobody knows it. Versus somebody who is currently in the movies, who is has been in one of the most popular trilogies in the history of film, the Hunger Games trilogy. And she represents the convention. If that is not, in a nutshell, in a snapshot, if that is not a picture of everything that's contrasted demographically and philosophically and strategically between the two conventions, the the GOP is 1976 and the DNC is 2016. has nothing to do with policy, has nothing to do with positions, has nothing to do with who I plan to vote for, but just from a strategic and an optics standpoint, it's really easy for me to come to the conclusion that the GOP is just not long for this world. And they've already tried the major overhaul. They tried that a couple of years ago. and um, Or maybe it was after Romney. Uh, they, they made a concerted effort to be more inclusive of uh, black folks and a lot of the Uh, African-Americans that they chose to help ended up leaving the party because they they felt like that the problems were intractable. Uh, They would never be solved. So anyway, just a few thoughts this morning on the future of the GOP and a reminder that if if the leadership had gotten behind Kasich and if Kasich and Rubio had teamed up with Kasich at the top of the ticket and Rubio at the bottom of the ticket, uh, or the second chair, VP, if they'd have broke tradition and joined up in the primaries, there's a good chance that Kasich would be the nominee right now because he would have been the most vocal uh, alternative to Trump. And uh, there's a good chance that uh, that viability would have propelled him. That's my two cents anyway. Thanks for listening. Uh, this has been the Fourth State Drive Time Podcast brought to you by Roundtable Media Group. If you'd like to advertise or want more information on how to start your own podcast, send me an email, marty at roundtablemediagroup.com, and I'll be glad to help you out with that. If if you would, please take a moment to rate and review in iTunes or whatever podcatcher you choose to listen to, uh, whether it's Overcast or Stitcher or whatever, and I will be very, very appreciative for all of the good reviews and uh, good vibes that you send my way. This is Marty Duran, and as always, I hope you have a fantastic day.